morning? It's a great day to be alive. We want to welcome you to New Creation Church. Amen. If you're joining us on live, welcome today. We're glad that you're here. Why don't you look at somebody next to you and say this? Uh, uh, I have to grab what I was going to say. <laughs> Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Once again, welcome. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. I believe that God is doing some tremendous things in the earth. He's working in your life. He's working in our life corporately. We live in really a tremendous day. And no matter what uh, really we see maybe on the news or what uh, may happen around us, uh, as we open up our eyes, we lift up our eyes, as it were, the spiritual eyes to see, God is doing some tremendous, tremendous things uh, in your life, in our sphere, and around the world. Amen? Praise the Lord. I, I just want to echo the, the announcements and the things that are going on really for us at New Creation Church. And, and part of what we're doing is, uh, you know, our vision is every member in their place so that we can see the glory of God and we can possess our land. We can reach out to others. We can touch the lives of others. And, and, and certainly in that process and in our, our, our mission uh, to love, lift, and reach people. And so part of that is the community that we develop and that we live in. So I just want to encourage you to go on uh, to the app. Uh, the small groups there are really for your edification, but not just for your edification, but they are there so that you can begin to get to know people, develop people that you know, and, and, and develop a relationship with, know that they're praying for you, joining together with you. Uh, you know, as, as Pastor Tasha said, really, you know, sev over 70% of the people that were healed uh, in the Gospels were healed, and Jesus said, by your faith, by your faith. And so really be beginning to study and recognize, you know, what the Word of God says, God's will concerning healing in your life. F.F. F. Bosworth said this in his book, Christ the Healer, faith begins where the will of God is known. He said, subsequent to that, the power of God can only be claimed where the will of God is known. So we can have a hope so, maybe so, think so process to healing, but when we know what the will of God is concerning healing, we can really begin to tap into the healing power of God, not only for ourselves, but to reach out and to pray and believe God concerning others. And that's out there. Uh, really, there's a, a finance class with Wayne Pollard. Men, there's a morning small group for you. X, it's John Bevere's study on fulfilling your divine potential. also want to remind you men, July 14th and 15th, our Stantall Men's Conference is going to take place. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Uh, Addison Bevere will be with us again. And, uh, you know, we had a break in there. I, I really desired to have him a couple times in a row. We had COVID, and so we kicked off again last year. And we're going to have him back, and it's going to be tremendous. He's releasing his new book just this week coming up. And uh, that's going to be awesome. Praise the Lord. And uh, then just want to let you know, tonight we're going to start a study on the book of Ephesians uh, in our evening service tonight. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Psalms 46, and we are going to start a new series of messages this morning, and uh, I believe that it will help us. And so let's just jump in right here. Psalms uh, 46, starting in verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Somebody say help in trouble. Say it like you mean it, help in trouble. Because usually when you're in trouble, you're crying for help. Usually when we're in trouble, we're crying out for help, 
But it says right here, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. The Passion says it like this, God, you're such a safe and powerful place to find refuge. You're a proven help in time of trouble. More than enough and always available whenever I need you. So we will never fear. Even if every structure of support were to crumble away, we will not fear. Even when the earth quakes and shakes, moving mountains and casting them into the sea. For the raging roar of stormy winds and crashing waves cannot erode our faith in you. Pause in his presence. So we're going to begin a series that we've just said, God help me. God help me, right? So many times we're in our, our life and we're looking at it and we say, God help me. Well, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're in the last of the last days. And he said in the last of the last days, troublesome times would come or perilous times, which mean troublesome times that are very, very hard to bear. And then he gives a list of things. You could go study it, a list of things as to why it gets very troublesome. It becomes troublesome when you have a culture where people are lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. When they're greedy for money, they're disobedient to parents. There's a number of, a list of things that he has right there that uh, uh, really create a situation of difficulty and of trouble Praise the Lord. And trouble uh, for situations of our life. And so Paul goes into all of that. And then he, he lets Timothy know. He says, you, you know the difficulty. You know the persecution that I've been through in different uh, cities and different places that I've been. He said, and you've watched how the Lord has delivered me out of every single trouble. The Lord has delivered me out of every single trouble. Then he goes on to say, he said, uh, you understand and know that the word has been inspired by God and it's good for instruction. It's good for correction. It's, it's good for rebuke. It's good for edification. In other words, he said, the word of God has been breathed out to let us know how God will help us in time of trouble. How God is really designed for us to receive that place of help when we're in trouble. And so we're going to just spend some time really looking at how God has helped in time of trouble. Because you can cry out for help. You can really look at things. We'll end, you know, the 121st Psalm says, I've looked unto the mountains. God, I've looked unto the mountains. And then all of a sudden I realize that you are the only place that my help comes from. Right? So sometimes we're looking everywhere for help. And God is right there to help us. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. And so every single time that we begin to look at and understand that we're living in difficult times and we want somebody to help us, and even we're crying out to God to, for God to help us, but we're looking way out here somewhere for God to come from somewhere out here to help us, but he's an ever-present help 
in time of trouble. Turn over to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. We're going to go over uh, just some scripture right here. But you know, as we look at this and we understand this, you know, even in the, uh, the Old Testament, we recognize and realize that when there's a great call of God, when there's di- uh, different aspects of time, like Moses, and some of these stories may be redundant to you, but I really believe as we, we plunge into this, if your expectancy is there, God's going to begin to reveal to you Uh, how he is ever-present. He's there to help you, to strengthen you, to anoint you, to provide for you, that he's the one that will help you. No matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the enemy brings against you, you could struggle with it in your own strength. You can call upon others to come alongside of you, but the greatest help that you have is from the spirit of the living God, and he's right there ever present to help you. And it escapes us in times of trouble. I don't know how many times, you know, you, pro- you may have said this, that I've heard this, you know, when things turn out badly, people will say, well, where was God? Where was God in my situation? Well, right there, that just tells us if we don't know where God is, we haven't been spending time in his presence. If we don't know where God is, then we haven't really been meditating on his word because God is right there. God's not a far off somewhere. It's in Him that we live, in Him that we move, in Him that we have our very being. The very Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of us. Come on, that most power ever exerted in history was when God raised Jesus from the dead. And he said that very same life, that very same power lives on the inside of you. And if it lives on the inside of you, and you're looking and saying, where are you, God? God, help me, and you're looking out there somewhere, then we still need to learn, we still need to grow and understand exactly where our help comes from. Come on, say it again, exactly where our help comes from. Because when everything starts to crash down, let's just think about it, when everything starts to crash down, we begin to look outward instead of inward. Why? Because, again, getting the revelation, you know, I've said this before, and, uh, you know, it's probably not funny to anybody anymore, but it just continually reminds me, you know, so, some years ago, you know, our kids were little, and, and the, the, the cartoon Aladdin came out, and uh, Aladdin wants to, you know, get free from his lamp, and, uh, or, or the genie, and Aladdin can't figure out, why do you want to get free from your lamp? And so he blows up into this big, great big blue genie, he says, all this cosmic power. And then he goes into this lamp and, you, lamp and you hear this voice, in this itty bitty living space. And I'm just watching that and it was like on the inside of me, God says that's just really how, how believers are. They don't understand it. But they have all this creative power, all this God power, all this dead raising power, all the power that raised Christ from the dead, the same one who hovered over the deep at creation, all of that in this itty bitty living space. And so to even grasp or get a glimpse that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in here somewhere. Right? The one who hovered over the deep that when God said, let there be light, put his finger on it and there was light. Separate the firmaments and the land and he separated it. The same one that did that is right in here. But it's difficult to understand because like, not in here. I mean, out there... Out there in the great expanse, I can see it. But in here, 
No. And this thing right here has so many cracks and so many, so much brokenness and so much distress and so much hurting. Why would he even live in here? And even as believers, we may say, no, I know that. But to get a revelation and a reality of it, we're going to go, not God, help me. But God's helped me. So just starting here, you know, and and again, I'm just going to wander around a little bit. This is, I'm introducing the message. But, you know, we see God in the Old Testament. I want to just lay this out a little bit. You know, we, we see Moses, and Moses couldn't do what God called him to himself. So God was always right there giving him instructions and helping him, not doing it for him, helping him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel, when they stood up for God, they got thrown in the fiery furnace, but they weren't in there alone. Jesus was helping them through that time in the fiery furnace. When Elisha got surrounded by, by the armies of the enemy, by the Syrian army, and his, his uh, servant could only see when he looked out, he's like, man, we need some help. We're surrounded by all the armies of the enemy. We need some help. And Elisha said, dear Lord, open his eyes to see. To see what? He opened his eyes and he was like, no need. We got all the help we need. I see chariots of fire. I see God's army helping us with the Syrian army. God's always been an ever-present help in time of need. Some people say, well, I cried out for help, and he wasn't there. Okay, I just want us to think, I'm just introducing because I know questions are coming. Well, I cried out for help and he wasn't there. Now listen, I'm just going to help you. I know that emotion. I've cried that, I cried that thing out myself. But to get a greater revelation and understanding of what we're saying out of our mouth. I cried out for help and he wasn't there. But he said, I will always be there. So there's a disconnect when we're in trouble. There can be a disconnect between our spirit and our soul. Our mind, our will, and our emotions start to do all kinds of things to say, where is he? Why is this happening then? What's going on? God must have forgot you. God must have left you. You must have messed up too bad. Questions like, what did I do to deserve this? Maybe I'm getting judged. All those things start to play to where you think God's out there watching you go through this and not doing anything. But if we can make the connection, right there in the middle of it, he's not out there watching He's in me, endeavoring to help me get through every single situation of life. Why? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he'd be there with Moses, if he'd be there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if he'd be there with Daniel, if he'd be there, he'll be there for you. And even greater, those are Old Testament. We live under a new covenant with better promises. That he's not just with us, but he's in us. So Joshua, (laughs) chapter 1, verse 5. Listen to this. This is awesome. This is a promise. As he sets out to do the will of God, 
It may look different than what he's called you to do, but God's called Joshua to lead the children of Israel. That's his call. That's what his life is going to be about from this point on. His call. It's unique to him, but it's still the call of God. So he has a promise from God to fulfill what God called him to do. And he said, no man shall be able to stand, against, stand before you all the days of your life. Come on, when we determine to do the will of God, men might endeavor to stand before you. God says, listen, there will be a situation where they'll not be able to be successful. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. And do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." Now, he talks about meditating on the Word. Well, why would he do that? Because God is in his Word. The revelation of God is in his Word. That is, we meditate on the Word. We meditate on what Jesus did. We meditate on the power of the Spirit. We meditate on the things that he has done, the promises that he's made, the things that he's fulfilled, all that he said. We begin to realize in that meditation of the Word, it changes from words on a page to living on the inside of us. And the words that come off of that page, the Bible says, they are alive. They're living, they're powerful, they're sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing past the mind, the will, and the emotions, past them into your spirit. Because they're spirit and they're life. That when we receive them all the way into our spirit, it's an engrafted word. It becomes engrafted in us. Why? Because it has the exact same DNA as the life in your spirit. He says, when you start to receive that, a transformation takes place that not only is it spirit, but it becomes life. Right? So we can look at it and say, well, it's spiritual and we can be spiritual. But he says, I want it to be translated from the page into life. He said, when it's translated from the page or what was spoken as you meditate in it and meditate in it, all of a sudden it begins a transformation from words to life. And when it becomes word to life or action, there is the power of the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus to set you free from the law of sin and death, to help you break through from that place. Come on, are you all still with me? So he said, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He said, listen, I'm going to be with you. Nobody will be able to stand against you. Why? Because I'm going to be with you. But your awareness of me being with you will will take you taking what I've said and becoming familiar with my voice, familiar with what I've said, and so familiar that you put your trust, your reliance, your adherence to what I've said, and I'll be with you to back my word on every front. 
23rd Psalm, fourth verse. We just jump in there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Wow. He said, there's times of trouble. I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. There's death all around me. There's destruction all around me. Yet, I'm not afraid. Why? Because I know that God is with me. And he helps me. He helps me to the degree that he prepares a table before me right in the presence of my enemies. When it seems like the enemy is all around, God prepares a table for me to partake of. He says, listen, come on now, belly up to the table because you're going to need some strength to go through this. So I'm going to feed you. I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to power you. I'm going to anoint you to where your cup's running over. Even when the enemy's trying to drain you, I'm going to fill you. Come on, how many of you in trouble have just gone, man, I am exhausted. I'm wore out. I have nothing left to give. Nobody? All right. Maybe I'm on the wrong message. thought I was on the right message. Come on, I'm not, as Paul said, I'm not saying that I've already attained. I've been through some of this. God has showed me, you know. Some years ago when we went through just so much uh, a loss and there was pain and personal loss in my life and things were going and, and you're trying to deal with the loss in your life and you're trying to lead others and, and, and situations are going on. You're trying to be a, a, a dad and a husband and a pastor and you've lost something very dear to you. And there's a place where the enemy just says, why don't you just quit? You got nothing left. I said, you know what? That sounds like an all right idea. There was only one problem. I did know God well enough to hear his voice say, no, you ain't quitting. But you are going to have to refigure this thing. He said, you feel empty because you're focusing on what's emptied you. But, But the moment you realize that I'm right here, And you begin to call on me. I am your fullness. And I will fill you to overflowing. And I'll give you something to give, even though naturally you feel like you got nothing to give. He said, it won't be what you can give, but I'll give you out of my overflow to give. He says, your cup runs over. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, strangely enough, supernaturally enough, God can cause your cup to run over. Hallelujah. So that's why he says, you know, just to sideline, that's why he says in the New Testament, he says, just go get filled. He says, be being filled. Be being filled. To be in that place. To get under the spout where the glory comes out. To get into a place in, your, in his presence, in his word, in, 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 with the body of Christ where you're, you're filled in so that you have something to give out. Because there will always be something draining you. Something draining you. You know, in, in our marriage, you know, we were going through the, the book, His Needs, Her Needs, for a while. And, you know, when you read that, you're thinking about, and he's talking about uh, deposits and withdrawals. Deposits and withdrawals. So you have to make sure you deposit enough in your spouse so that you can withdraw. And so, you know, I just did kind of an unscientific study, like I do sometimes. 
that if I deposit this much, if I say these many good things, I figure out what her needs are and do this much, and then go ahead and say, you know, uh, I'm ready to, to get back. I realized that there was something. I don't know, interest paid or whatever. But it seemed like based on my deposit, I was never quite getting back what I thought I'd deposited. So I went to prayer. I said, why is that? It seems like, you know, if this is true, which it seems to be true, you've got to put in to get out, you know, just, just that overall, even in, into the Word, you know, you've you got to put something in and, and God pours out. So I said, what's the deal here? He said, well, you're depositing in, but your daughters are making withdrawals. You're depositing and the church is making withdrawals. So, you know, first reaction is, well, that's not fair. He said, so if you'll just understand that, you just make a deposit, not so what you can get out, but you deposit so she'll be as full as she can be to do everything she needs to do. You're still thinking that's not fair, but then he says, that's what I do for you. He said, I keep pouring myself into you so you have more than enough to give out. Hmm. Okay, let's go on. <laughs> keep going until we just hit the right note. <clears throat> that note, that high note that breaks the glass. Hallelujah. All right, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting verse 29. So, uh, this is the Message Bible. It says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. He knew what he was doing when he decided to shape your life in the same image of his son. That's pretty good. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him or in Christ. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. You're not at the end yet, which means he's still with you. Praise the Lord. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? Man. Nothing, nothing he won't do for you to help you reach the desired intent. 
And what's the desired intent? Just to have something? No. Be transformed into the same image. A son and a daughter. All right, Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 5. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Different Greek scholars have said this is a really a large term when you look at it. The terms that are used here. He, he actually just doesn't say it quickly like we do in the English. But he said, I will never, ever, 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 ever leave you. And I will never, ever, 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 ever forsake you. Hmm. So I know I'm going into this. People are like, well, wait a minute. I got some situations. I know we could all have situations. But in those situations, if you went, God, where are you? We still have some learning to do. How many believe the word of God is true? All right. So it's true. He said, I'm not going anywhere. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. Wherever you go. So we got to be careful where we go. Because he's going with us. I said this a couple weeks ago. He's going with you. The problem with not knowing or, or not wanting to know is sometimes we go and we don't want to think he's with us. Because we know we're going somewhere he doesn't want to go. So if mentally we can go, well, he's back at the church, he's back at the prayer closet, that works for that time. But then we're in trouble and we think he's still back in heaven or back at the prayer closet, we say, where are you? But he's never been just back at the prayer closet. He's never been there. He's always been with you even in those places that you didn't want him to go, he still went with you. He still saw what you saw. He was in what you were in. So I don't know about that. Well, that's what Paul told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians verse 6. He said, wait a minute. I'm sure you don't understand this. But when you involve yourself in sexual immorality... You involve me. Because you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. He said, I know you don't know this, because if you knew this, you wouldn't be doing it. You've disconnected yourself from his presence. But he's never disconnected himself from us. Or his presence from us. Praise the Lord. Y'all still with me? All right, so we're going to dive into a couple of things. We're going to look at Jesus. How about we look at Jesus for a little bit? So I'm going to make a, a couple of statements about Jesus and, and where he's helping us. You may get a, a broad spectrum. You may go, well, I don't know if that exactly applies there. You can nitpick about it. But I'm just trying to follow the Holy Ghost and uh, bring this to us because I believe in the end it's going to help us. And we're really going to get to know Jesus. And then we're going to get to know the Holy Spirit uh, in such a way, a dynamic way, that I believe will bolster you. And that every time trouble comes your way, you are prepared to go through it. Because you know he is an ever-present 
help in time of need. That you'll be empowered, you'll be strengthened. It'll help change our mindset because so often we're in that place of that mindset that we don't think that we're worthy of help. We think we've made too many mistakes to help. Our life has been too broken to help. But listen, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I just want to go through a few things uh, right here, how Jesus really helped people who are confused. Jesus helped the confused. That's good news. Turn your Bibles to Mark, the first chapter. Mark, the first chapter. So there's many different places that he helped uh, in this. Certainly he went about uh, many places. He was always teaching concerning the kingdom of God. But there's certain ways that we're confused. But Jesus didn't just say, well, too bad. You don't know. You should know better. So listen to this. This is now uh, uh, verse 40. Now, a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and cleansed him. So it doesn't look like he's helping the confused. He's trying to help somebody who's sick. Now, this man was confused. He came to Jesus and he said, if you're willing, I know that you're able. I just am confused. I know you have the ability. I just don't know. From religion, from my teaching, I don't know if you'll want to heal me. Now just think of it, you parents here, just think about it for a moment. If your child came to you and said, I know you can help me, but I just don't think you want to. You just go, wait a minute. I love you. Most of the time as parents, we're in a position where we can't. We're not able, but we'd be willing. But many times as Christians, we've been told, listen, this is the way it is. God's not going to do anything for you. He's not willing. We're confused. Certainly he can, but he won't for me because of my situation. And that was it. Leprosy, and by, by virtue of things that had happened in the Old Testament, by reasons of really separation for different reasons, lepers were separated. They were ostracized. They were put out. Nobody wanted to be around them. And he came to Jesus. He said, listen, I'm watching you. I've been watching you. And I know you could do this. But what I don't know because of all that's been told me is I don't know if you want to. And Jesus said, let me just clear that up right now. Let me clear up your confusion right now. I'm willing. And let me help you see this. Be thou whole. And immediately his confusion was gone. He no longer was confused as to whether or not Jesus wanted to heal him because he was cleansed. He was totally cleansed. There's areas in your life that you're confused. You don't know whether God's willing to do something or not. But if Jesus died for your healing, he died for your deliverance, he died to make you whole, he died to cleanse you of sin, right? Don't say, I, I know you could, but I don't know if you want to. He says, listen, for everything I've done, I want you to be whole. I want you to be whole. 
But he has to break through that confusion that we have of his willingness and his ability. Of his willingness and ability. Come on, Jesus will help the hopeless. He'll help the hopeless. Turn over to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in the Hebrew Bethesda. Having five porches, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of of whatever disease he had had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in this condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now in a normal situation, you'd say, "Uh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. But over 38 years, this man had become hopeless. The circumstances of life had created a hopelessness. Is anything ever going to happen for me? Listen to what he says. He said, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no one. You know, he could have just said yes. But he said, I have no man to put me into the pool. And when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. He said, listen, I have no hope. I can't get there. Somebody always gets there first. Somebody always gets the paycheck. Somebody always gets the promotion. Somebody always gets the notoriety. Somebody always is in the way. Some circumstance is always in the way. How am I ever going to move forward in life? Jesus doesn't say, well, I don't know. What are you going to do? Jesus said to this man, who normally you'd look for a I'm coming to you, Jesus. Jesus came to him. He said, you want to be made whole? He said, I'm hopeless. It's never happened to me. I don't see how it can happen. And Jesus said, I'll help you with that. Rise, take up your bed and walk. The man got up and started walking. Come on, no matter where you've come to the place that say, you know what, I don't know if this will work for me every time I try to do something, something gets in the way. Jesus wants to help you with your hopelessness. He wants to help you with your hopelessness. Come on, Jesus wants to help the sinner. Turn over to John the 8th chapter. John the 8th chapter. We'll end with this one. Help the sinner or the outcast. John 8 verse 1 it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. When they set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. There you go. 
Something got in the way. Stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't uh, hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with their oldest, uh, the oldest, even until the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised her up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So often we feel like we just fall short, that we're outcasts. We've made too many mistakes. We've, we've sinned. We even feel the condemnation of that sin. We feel it from others. But when we get in the midst of Jesus, Jesus said, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to set things right. I'm here to help you understand that you don't need to live under this condemnation and this darkness. I've come to forgive you, justify you, and set you free to follow me. Come on, he helped her get out of a cycle of sinfulness and condemnation. And he helped her get up and walk free from that and live a life following him in all of that blessing. God help me. God helped in the Old Testament. Jesus helped. We're going to go, Jesus helped more ways than this. But we have a couple of weeks and so we're not just going to exhaust it all right now. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, sometimes we, I'm just trying to help us grasp something here. Because really, you know, uh, uh, as we look at it, and we look at Psalms 121, I like this, this is from the Passion Translation. It says, I look up to the mountains and the hills longing for God's help. But then I realize that our true help and protection comes only from the Lord, our Creator, who made the heavens and the earth. He will guard and guide me, never letting me stumble or fall. God is my keeper. He will never forget or ignore me. Praise the Lord. And so as we start to look at this and moving into this, we understand now something. When Jesus was addressing his disciples, and he said, if you love me, you'll do my commandments. Or since you love me, you're going to do things the way that I do them walking with me. And he says, when you make that decision to walk with me and do things the way that I've directed them to be done, they're so big, they're so grand, and the enemy's out there that you're going to need a helper. But when he said that, he said, I'm going to send you another helper. So he was telling them, you have watched me help people every day. And I'm leaving, but I'm sending one exactly like me to help you fulfill the will of God so that by that same helper, you can help others. We're going somewhere with this. But I started with Jesus. 
and these examples, because even as Christians, too often, we're thinking he's not going to help me because I'm outcast. He's not going to be willing to help me. I've sinned. We're going to see how he's helping. he helped the broken. Come on. When we realize he'll never leave us or forsake us, when we say, God, help me, we're not looking to say, out there somewhere, if you could show up, we're calling from a resource on the inside. We are actually calling upon the power of God to strengthen and help us. Father, we thank you. We praise you, and we do magnify you. We glorify you today. Father, I ask you to help us. I know you will. As we even go through the series of messages, bring revelation to us. Bring strength. Bring comfort. Be all that you can be in every situation. You know every doubt. You know every fear of moving forward. You know every apprehension. You know every excuse that we may come up with that would keep us from moving forward into the very life, newness of life that you've called us to, that you've given us through the resurrection. Because you know, I thank you, you'll minister to every heart and life about that apprehension, that doubt, that disbelief, that brokenness, that wound, that sin. And you'll begin to move to help resolve that situation to bring each person out, to bring them through, and to bring them up into everything that you've called them to do. That they might truly enjoy and recognize how they are a light in the world. That people will be drawn to the brightness of their light of life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We glorify and magnify you. Thank you, Lord. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning, 